This morning I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and make your way to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs today. We're going to read uh, a number of verses to get us started, but in the midst of the verses that we read, we're going to take one portion of a verse as our text. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter number 9 this morning, and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 18. Proverbs chapter number 9, verses 13 through 18. Proverbs 9, verse 13. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet. Now watch, verse 17, this portion of the verse is going to be our text verse. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. The title of the message this morning is Bread Eaten in Secret. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We are so thankful for your mercy and kindness and compassion towards us. And Lord, as we sing of that old rugged cross, we are reminded uh, that our hope uh, in, in you is based upon Jesus' work on that old rugged cross. And that blood that was shed is what was used to purchase our redemption and, Lord, to buy us back. And, <clears throat> Lord, by the blood of Christ, we are made right in your sight. We are restored to a right standing with you and we give all praise honor and glory to you and lord though we be right in our standing often we are not right in our walk lord often we are not right in how we live on this earth and we are betaken with those besetting sins and oftentimes they are secret sins lord help us to pay attention to you this morning in your word i pray that the spirit would speak to our hearts and that you'd use the message as you see fit, whether it be for salvation or that you'd correct your servants to live a closer life to you and walking with you. And Lord, that we would learn what you want us to learn from this topic this morning, bread eaten in secret. We pray that Jesus would be lifted up and magnified. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Bread eaten in secret. Now the Bible is full of vivid illustrations and teaching techniques whereby we are able to know God's wisdom and God's will. God communicates with us in ways and with terms that we understand. Proverbs 19 here, Solomon, who of course wrote the book of Proverbs, is contrasting wisdom with foolishness. And in our text, he uses the illustration of the foolish, or might I say, strange woman. He does so because he knows, by the leadership of the Spirit of God, that we all will understand what he's talking about, whether we be male or female. And it isn't hard to get a grasp of what's being spoken of here. This is the allurement of the strange woman who entices those that are simple to just come on and 
Let us enjoy ourselves in secret. Nobody will know about it. After all, stolen waters are sweet. There is pleasure in sin. And she entices the foolish to come her way. You know, it is still that way today. The foolish woman entices by promising secrecy for wicked acts. Bread eaten in secret. Now, you say today, well, I don't need to worry about that. I'm not, I'm not swayed by the foolish woman. Well, still today, self, Satan, and society attempt to tempt the believer with secrecy of sin. We need to be on guard against bread eaten in secret. Your weakness might not be the strange woman. But you better believe that whatever your weakness is, you're going to be attacked and enticed to practice that in secrecy. To eat your bread in secret. Now perhaps this is one of the most devious tools that the enemy uses. And when I say the enemy, again, understand I'm talking about our own worst enemy, ourselves, And of course, our adversary, Satan. And then this wicked world, Society, where we read in 1 John chapter 2 about all that is in the world. We are enticed by the pleasantries of sin to practice secret sin. And I believe that's what's being talked about here in Proverbs chapter number 9, verse 17. Secret sins. When's the last time you thought about your secret sins? How do we deal with secret sins? How can we, if we even can, conquer secret sins? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to give three warnings concerning bread eaten in secret. And I say warnings, we'll look at the last one, and you might say, well, that's not really a warning, but I do consider it a warning, and we ought to take heed of it. Three warnings concerning bread eaten in secret. The first warning... The practice exists with each of us. The practice exists with each of us. What I'm talking about there is the practice of eating bread in secret exists with each of us. Don't think that we're exempt or you're exempt this morning. The second warning. Eating bread in secret is pleasant and exciting. It is pleasant and exciting. There is an allurement to it, and I'll prove that to you by the Word of God. And then thirdly, this third warning concerning bread eaten in secret, there is a process by which we can extinguish our partaking of bread eaten in secret. And I, when I say extinguish, I mean very, very uh, specifically extinguish, because we can, we can put it down for a while, but we must always be on guard against it rising up again, Right? So these are three warnings concerning bread eaten in secret. The first warning, the practice of eating bread in secret exists within each of us. This guidance that the, uh, that the writer Solomon is giving, it isn't just the simple who turns into the foolish, strange woman. Believers can sometimes act like the simple-minded. And so don't think this morning that because, well, you know, I'm saved by the grace of God, I'm not prone or I'm not susceptible to falling prey to the foolish or strange woman 
or secret sin. We must all be on guard and understand that this practice in some way or in some form and to some degree exists within each of us. Now let's begin by explaining secret sins. What is meant by secret sin? In fact, you notice here, as we read verses 13 through 18, that the foolish woman is enticing with the promise of secrecy. She is enticing the simple-minded to turn in to her because no one will know about it. We can do this in secret and nobody will understand or nobody will know. She is enticing with secret sin. I'm going to go back and and reference an old writer from the 1600s, an old preacher from the 1600s, an old Presbyterian preacher by the name of Obadiah Sedgwick. In Obadiah Sedgwick, I I could reinvent what he wrote, but I'll just let what he wrote speak for us in explaining secret sin. Obadiah Sedgwick wrote this, It is the desire of a holy person to be cleansed not only from public, but also from private and secret sins. Sins may be termed secret in these ways. First of all, when they are colored and disguised. When we are disguising what we are actually doing and we are portraying it as something else, that can be termed a secret sin. Secondly, when they are kept off from the stage of the world. There are sins that that you may commit that you don't want anyone else to know about. You don't practice them openly. The the foolish woman is not uh, enticing the simple-minded to come and let's do this out in the open so everybody knows about it. It is secret. It is that no one knows about it. It is that you can keep it hidden from others. And when you think about this, are not sins of the heart secret sins? You can be sitting there in your pew chair this morning and listening to me and thinking about what an idiot I am. And thinking about how foolish it is to sit here and listen to someone go on for 45 minutes about some book that was written so many years ago and and, and you say, well, nobody knows about this. I can keep this hidden It is a secret sin. You have bitterness and anger and wrath and malice. And you say, well, that doesn't harm anybody. Those are secret sins. You have sins that you might commit that are sins of commission. And nobody else knows about it. Nobody knows what you watch. Nobody knows what you look at on your computer or your phone. Nobody knows what kind of filthy music you listen to. And yet, God knows. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. Those are secret sins. Sedgwick went on, Obadiah Sedgwick went on, and he explained what he meant when he says that secret sins are those sins that are kept off from the stage of the world, where the world doesn't see it. And he he wrote this, he said, They are like fire in the chimney. Though Though you do not see it, yet it burns. So many a person, like those in Ezekiel, commit abominations in secret. That is, so is the public eye is not upon them. You ever known anybody that was engaged in an illicit affair? 
they normally don't advertise that stuff. You know, in fact, I won't mention any names, but Jim and Tina were describing a situation they were privy to, you know, where one guy would go off to work and then pretty soon the other one would follow after. Well, why didn't he follow after while the other guy was still at home? See, this is all done in secret. These are secret sins where they are kept off from the stage of the world. And we must understand that we are susceptible and vulnerable to that. In fact, I would say this morning that there isn't one person here that has not battled with secret sin. And then there's this third way in which sins are classified as secret according to Sedgwick. And I agree with what he's saying. He says, when they are kept not only from the public eye... But from any mortal eye, that is the carnal eye of him who commits the sins and sees them not. In other words, you don't understand that what you're doing is classified as sin. You think that what you're doing is okay. Again, if we could borrow from the strange woman and we were to go over to the end of the book of Proverbs, does not the Bible say that the adulterous woman eats her morsel and wipes her mouth like she's not done anything wrong. We must understand what sin is. We must get into the Word of God and understand how God classifies in sin so that we're not deceived in thinking that what we are doing or not doing is not sin, and in reality it's a secret sin that is shielded from God. And so we explain secret sins, sins that nobody sees, Nobody knows about. They can be those idols of the heart or those thoughts and wicked imaginations of the heart or things that we do in private or things that we don't even understand are sin. We are susceptible. The practice of eating our bread in secret exists with each of us. In fact, we see not only how we should explain secret sins, but we should talk about our exposure to secret sins and the fact that we are all vulnerable and susceptible. You know, sometimes I really don't think that God's people understand that. We think that we're some super spiritual... Folks, I've known people like that. Folks in this that have been in this church in years gone by, they're so super, super spiritual that they could never do this. And guess what? They do it. They do it. Pretty soon... They do exactly what they condemn the other person of doing. We are all vulnerable. We are all susceptible. If we are not, then how do you explain God's chosen people, Israel, being susceptible and vulnerable? Now watch. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter number 17. Turn to 2 Kings chapter number 17. The the nation of Israel is God's chosen nation. He showed special favor to them. He delivered them and took care of them and watched over them and continually provided for them. He defeated their enemies. He gave them homes that they didn't have to build and vineyards that they didn't have to plant. And yet, what did they do? They practiced secret sin. Notice 2 Kings chapter number 17, verse number 7. In 2 Kings chapter number 17 and verse number 7, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. Now watch verse 9. 
And the children of Israel did secretly, did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fence city. They're no better than what uh, the book of Malachi describes about offering your burnt offerings and say, I'm, I am serving the Lord. And yet, erecting those idols in secrecy. We must realize that we are all prone to eating bread in secret. That we are all prone to secret sins. God's chosen people were vulnerable and susceptible and fell prey to secret sins. You know who else was? A man that is described as after God's own heart. You know, sometimes I don't think that we think of what David did as being secret sin. Oh, well, he saw Bathsheba and he sent and he brought her and so other people knew about it. Beloved, God describes what David did as secret sin. David describes what he did as secret sin. David sent and took Bathsheba and committed adultery with her. And then he had her husband Uriah the Hittite killed. He tried to scheme and have Uriah uh, go in and have marital relations with Bathsheba so that the child would be described as Uriah's child. And Uriah was too honorable to do that. And so what does God say when He sends Nathan the prophet to David? Here it is in 2 Samuel 12, verse 12. Uh, Nathan speaking the word of God to David in 2 Samuel 12, verse 12 says, For thou didst it secretly. Thou didst it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. In other words, God's, in other words, God's judgment was going to be shown upon David openly for David's secret sin. None of us would describe ourselves as being half the man that David was. And yet David was susceptible and vulnerable to secret sin. To eating bread in secret. I want you to think again about the strange woman. And we're going to look at some verses in Proverbs chapter 7 that describe the strange woman. And think about this in Proverbs 7 and verse 26. In describing the strange woman in Proverbs 7 verse 26. For she hath cast down many wounded. And how about this? Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. You don't think you're susceptible or vulnerable to secret sins? This is why we've talked about being on guard. We preached a few weeks ago on the subject of being uh, vigilant and being sober and, 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 and watching out uh, that we would be wise as serpents. And I used the illustration of uh, being at work and, and letting our guard down. And, you know, if you're a, a, a female and you have this guy that comes up and says, Oh, well, if I were your beau or your husband, I'd take care of you. He doesn't treat you right. And guys, you have the woman that comes up and, and, and whispers all these sweet nothings in your ear and you say, well, maybe the grass is greener on the other side. And the grass has still got to be cut on the other side. It's not greener on the other side. And so we fall prey to these secret sins. Bread eaten in secret. This first warning, we must heed. The practice of eating bread in secret exists within all of us. Now we move on to the second one. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant and exciting. 
Beloved, I would be remiss this morning if I didn't tell you that. Why do you think it's dangerous? Man, listen. If I set before you a gallon of of candied grasshoppers, and I set before you a gallon of ice cream, of your favorite kind of ice cream, what are you going to choose to eat? Unless you're John the Baptist come in the flesh, you're not going to eat those grasshoppers, you're going to choose that which is pleasurable. Sin, hear me this morning. We don't like to talk about this. Oh, we might give somebody uh, an impetus to commit sin if we describe sin this way. No, beloved, we got to be honest. Sin is pleasurable and it can be exciting to us. Why is anybody enticed if it's not? It is pleasurable. What does the Bible say in our text in Proverbs chapter number 9 and verse number 17? And bread eaten in secret is pleasant, and stolen waters are sweet. Now, we need to think first of all, when we talk about secret sins being pleasant and exciting, we need to think about the nature of sin. And I say to you again, has it not been proven scripturally and has it not been proven practically that that which is pleasant and enticing is what causes us to fall? Why are... You know I can't preach a message without bringing this in, right? Why, why, are, why are serial killers like Ted Bundy so dangerous? Because they're good-looking guys and nobody would suspect that. Guess what? The devil doesn't appear with a pitchfork and a red tail. That's you got we gotta be wise, man. Ted Bundy was so effective because he was an attractive young man and women were attracted to him and they were willing to let their guard down and help him out. That reprobate who's burning right now in hell would wrap his arm up in a cast and try to act like he's trying to put his boat on his car or carry his books and people would see him and say, oh man, that's a good looking guy. And these young ladies would go over and help him and he'd club him in the head and stick him in the car. Now I hate to be graphic this morning. But sin does not appear with a black, darkened, uh, decrepit face. It is pleasurable. We need to think about the nature of sin. How did the serpent tempt Eve? Questioning the Word of God and describing that tree that Adam and Eve were not permitted to eat of. And how did Eve think in her mind about partaking of the forbidden fruit of the tree? Here it is. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was, are you ready for this? Pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. It was pleasant. It was pleasurable. Do you not understand that you are in deep distress when you let your guard down and you don't understand that secret sin is pleasurable and pleasant and exciting? How about this? I've talked about the strange woman, not in Proverbs 9, but in Proverbs 7. So turn back to Proverbs 7 with me. And I want you to see how the strange woman entices the simple young man. 
Notice Proverbs 7, verses 7 through 18. In Proverbs 7, verse 7, And beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. You see the secrecy? In the twilight, in the black and dark. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without. Now in the streets and lieth and waited every corner. So she caught him and kissed him and with an impotent face said unto him, Now watch. I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. See, there's nothing wrong with this. This is even acceptable to the Lord. I'm a religious person just like you are. Watch. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. You're the one I've been waiting for all day. Now watch. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves, for the goodman is not at home. He has gone a long journey. Do you see what she's doing? It is pleasant and pleasurable. You know, she didn't come up and say, Hey, you know, I got hair on my legs an inch long and hair under my underarms an inch long and I haven't showered in a month and my teeth, you know, I got three or four teeth and I haven't brushed them in a year. Hey, let's get together. Why not? Because it's not enticing. Come on, beloved. You know what I'm saying is true. It is the nature of sin. Did not Moses say that he chose to suffer the afflictions with the people of God than rather enjoy the what? Pleasures of sin for a season. When we get to thinking that, oh, you know, there's nothing alluring about the world. There's nothing alluring about sin. Guess what? The enemy's got us right where he wants us. We need to make sure we understand the nature of sin. William Arnott wrote a little book called Studies in Proverbs in the 1800s. I'm going to quote him again in a moment, but he said this, The power of sin lies in its pleasure. If stolen waters were not sweet, no one would steal the waters. And is it not true? So we have to understand that bread eaten in secret is pleasant and exciting. This is a warning to us. We understand the nature of sin, but we understand also the nature of man. What did Paul say when he was describing the quandary and the conundrum that he found himself in in Romans chapter number 7? And he said, the things that I don't want to do, I wind up doing. The things that I do want to do, I somehow fail to do those things. And how did he describe man's nature? Listen to this in Romans 7 verse 7. He writes, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid! Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So man's nature is depraved. What God says we are to stay away from, we desire. What is lust? It is a desire for that which is forbidden, right? And so what God says is not good for us and what we should stay away from, do we not tend to want to indulge in those things? You know, when's the last time you woke up in the middle of the night with a craving and said, man, I got to get some celery? 
or I got to get some I got to get some I got to get some rotten celery. Nobody does that. And these things are common sense, right? Man desires that which is naturally bad for us. You don't need to treat, teach a little kid to eat the sweets, but you do need to teach them to eat their vegetables, right? Unless you're weird, okay? And there are some people that are weird, okay? And have always liked vegetables, right? But generally speaking, you get what I'm saying. I'm joking about the weird part, okay? Lest I offend anybody. If there's any vegetable lovers here that ate veggies before your sweets and you loved them, I apologize, okay? But we're talking about the nature of man, are we not? Again, I give you a quote from William Arnott. He writes, Our appetite is diseased. If your bodily appetite were so perverted that it should crave for what is poisonous, poisonous and loathed wholesome food, we would not give ourselves up to each random inclination. The risk of death would be great. In valuing life, we would set a guard on the side of danger. But in fallen man, there is a diseased relish for that which destroys. Sin, which is the death of a man's soul, is yet sweet to the man's taste. And is it not true? Stolen waters are sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So what I'm saying is, I'm issuing a warning this morning based upon the authority of the Word of God that secret sin is pleasant and exciting. Now we move on to the third warning. There is a process by which we can extinguish the practice of secret sin in our life. What I mean to say this morning by this is that we are not helpless. We, we, are, we are not bound so that we must give in to secret sin. We might have been that before we were saved by the grace of God, and certainly we were. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But now that we've been saved by the grace of God and God lives within us and the Spirit of God empowers us, we don't have to eat bread in secret. We can have victory and in fact extinguish secret sins in our life. Now, how is it done? Well, first of all, we must acknowledge our guilt of committing secret sins. If we didn't get past the first warning, then there's no need for you to even think about what comes next. We must acknowledge our guilt of committing secret sins. Do you know that Moses... I just gave you a quote from Hebrews chapter number 11 where Moses said that he would rather suffer the reproaches of God with the people of God than enjoy the, than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But do you know that Moses acknowledged his own secret sin? He did. How about this in Psalms 90, and I believe Moses wrote the 90th Psalm. In Psalm 90 and verse 8, Moses writes, Thou hast set our, our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. And so Moses acknowledged not only the people of God's secret sins, but he included himself in that. We must acknowledge our guilt of committing secret sins. And then David, who, who we referenced earlier in the message, David also acknowledged his guilt of what he had done with Bathsheba and Uriah. In Psalm 19 and verse 12, David wrote, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Secret faults. Secret sin. Many times in the Bible, the word error or fault is used for sin or transgression. And David is saying, God, help me to understand 
my secret sin. Help me to recognize my secret sin and cleanse me from my secret faults. So what's the process to extinguish these sins? Well, first of all, we acknowledge we're guilty of committing secret sins. And then we accept, secondly, we accept the condemnation of God upon secret sin. In other words, that it's not okay that we lead a life that is characterized by secret sin. What does Proverbs 9 and verse 18 say in the verses that we read? In Proverbs 9 and verse number 18, in describing the folly of the simple man that turns into the foolish or strange woman, in Proverbs 9 verse 18, but he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Now, I'm not saying this morning that Believers wind up in the literal place called hell in a lake of fire and brimstone, but you know hell oftentimes represents the grave. And there is a sin unto death. I mean, there, there's, there's a sin in which we can, God can, can, can correct us and try to get our attention and, 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 and tell us by the preaching of the Word and by the movements of the Holy Spirit. And we, as Proverbs 29 says, we harden our neck and we're, 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 we're not going to give in to what God is telling us. You know, God can take us from this earth. God can take us. And I'm going to say to you that you, you start tampering in secret sins and eating bread in secret, especially like what's described in Proverbs chapter number 9, you're not long on this earth. And if you are, you better check up on your relationship with the Lord. God, God can chasten you and God can, can, can cause you to be miserable here for your secret sin. We must realize and accept the condemnation of God upon secret sin. Secret sins will be exposed before God. They might not ever be exposed here on this earth. But they'll be exposed before God. I just want to read you some of these verses, and we'll not take uh, long to comment on each of these verses, but I just want you to understand the preponderance of evidence that we see in these verses in Numbers 32 verse 23 Numbers 32 verse 23 uh, Moses in admonishing the two and a half tribes that wanted to dwell on the other side of the Jordan he says but if ye will not do so behold ye have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out our sin will be exposed before God in Psalm 44 verses 20 and 21 if we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, verse 21, shall not God search this out for He knoweth the secrets of the heart. God knows our secrets. Those secret sins that are sins that no one else can see and we, we, we conceal them. And in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2 verse 22, in speaking to the king, Daniel says, He, meaning God, revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. And so so God exposes our secrets as they're laid open before him. He knows exactly who we are and what we're doing. And, And secondly, these secret sins will be judged by God. God judges them. Now there's, and you know this from studying the judgments of of the Bible, right? I don't believe that there's just one general judgment, right? The great white throne judgment. I believe there's about seven different judgments in the Bible. And one of those judgments is that our sins were were judged at the cross of Christ. And yet, 
Are we not told in 1 John chapter 1, Brother Mark preached on 1 John just recently, that we're supposed to confess our sins to God and forsake our sins, that we might be right with Him and might have fellowship with Him. God judges our sin. Listen to these verses in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And then the Lord Jesus Christ speaking in the book of Luke. As Luke records these words in Luke chapter 8 verses 17 and 18. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. Neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. And then verse 18. Take heed therefore how ye hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not from him shall he be taken. Even that which he seemeth to have. And so he's warning us. That there's judgment upon how we hear and how we live. And if we are guilty of living in secret sin and eating bread in secret, God is going to judge that. And then, of course, Paul writing to the church at Rome in Romans 2, verse 16, he writes, "In in In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And so there's no doubt that secret sins are judged by God. We must understand and accept God's condemnation upon secrets. And then thirdly, thirdly, we must ask God for courage and commitment to overcome our secret sins. We must ask God for courage and commitment to overcome our secret sins. But that means that first of all, we have to understand this process by which we become entangled and entrapped with secret sin. How does this happen? Well, it begins, first of all, by being enticed. Are we not reading about in Proverbs chapter number 9, and did we not read in Proverbs chapter number 7, that the foolish in the strange room, what does she do? She entices. She entices. Turn with me over to the book of Deuteronomy. And I want to read some verses in Deuteronomy here. Deuteronomy chapter number 13. I want you to notice Deuteronomy chapter number 13, and we're going we're gonna to read just a few verses. I think it's important to gain the context here. In Deuteronomy chapter number 13, verses 6 through 11. Notice Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 through 11. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy, the, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, now watch, entice thee secretly saying, Let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones, that he die because he has sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. Now, why do we read these verses? Obviously, when somebody entices us to sin, we're not going to take out our conceal and carry and pop them. Okay? We're not going to kill them. But remember, what is written in the Old Testament is good for us today. And I believe what God is driving at is that we must be ruthless in our dealing with sin and with those that entice us to sin. We're not to be kind and compassionate and go along with the enticement. We're to be swift and take swift action and say, no, I will not have anything to do with this. 
This is enticing me to turn my back on the Lord. I'm not going to be guilty of practicing secret sin. We must do that if we're ever going to ask God for courage and commitment to overcome our secret sin. We cannot let it fester. We cannot put up with it. We cannot be kind. I was listening to the news this morning and uh, one of the one of the hosts on the morning show in Fox was asking this guy from Israel, the, a government official from Israel, he said, well, well, don't you think that, that there needs to be some, some negotiations? And he said, I'm sorry, but the time of negotiating is gone. It is now time for swift action. Negotiation was attempted, and now it's time for us to strike back and do what we're supposed to do in protecting our people. There is no time for soft speak. There is no time for, well, you know, let's give them a chance. How about this? Let's give them $6 billion. Because after all, they won't spend that $6 billion for nefarious purposes. I mean, how stupid and idiotic are we as a nation? Time for talk is past. It is swift action that we must take. And we must take that in dealing with enticement to secret sin. Oh, the strange woman is enticing you. Well, let me just be kind to her because I don't want to offend her. No. You put her in her place. You put her in her place. You don't put up with it for a moment. We are enticed with secret sin. And then we entertain that secret sin. And that's where we start to get into problems instead of dealing swiftly with it. Did not Job say in Job 31 where he talked about He made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look upon a maid because he was committed to his wife. And then we find later on in Job describing the judgment of God in Job 31 verse 27, he says, If his heart had been secretly enticed or his mouth had kissed his hand, and that's a sign of idolatry, kissing the hand and and waving the hand to the false god and the idol. Job is saying, If I've done any of that, if I've been secretly enticed, and, 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 and practiced idolatry, then yes, I deserve the judgment of God. But he didn't entertain that. He didn't allow it to enter into his mind. And of course, when we're enticed and we entertain it, we become entrapped and entangled. And we must understand that and ask God for courage and commitment to overcome those secret sins. And then notice lastly, fourthly, what's the process by which we can extinguish secret sin? We abide in the light that enables us to conquer secret sin. And that's a double light. That's a twofold light. That's the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Word. And the light of the Word of God, the written Word. We must abide in the light that enables us to conquer secret sins. Why do those that practice secret sins do not, why do they not seek the light? Because the light exposes what they're doing. How about what the Lord said in John chapter 3 verses 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And then verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. Lest they should be made manifest. We need to abide in the light. Abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Abide in the living word. Abide in the written word. Read the word of God to know what God says is sin. And then ask God for courage and commitment to live every day 
fighting against secret sin. The natural man won't come to the light. He, 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 he can't come, but he wouldn't come if he could. He doesn't desire that. The natural man doesn't desire that. The natural man is the simple man that is described in Proverbs 7 and Proverbs chapter number 9. B.H. Carroll did a wonderful job of describing the natural man's heart as it relates to the light. I want you to listen to this. I'm going to close with this quote. Carroll writes, and again, this is from the perspective of the natural man. He writes, I hate this light. It exposes my secret sins. It strips me of my mask of self-respect. It humiliates me. This light shows how sensual, how groveling, how beastly, how devilish I really am. It exposes my chains. It advertises my bondage to pride, lust, and money. Ooh, ooh, did you get that money? You get that lust, pride, money? It makes me loathsome to myself. I hate this painful light, this awful purity. Isn't that what the natural man says? And yet we're saved by the grace of God. Send the light, the gospel light, right? We want to be stepping in the light. We want to be abiding in the light lest we are taken in secret sins and guilty of eating bread in secret. We discussed this morning three warnings concerning bread eaten in secret. That this practice exists within each of us. That secret sin is pleasant and exciting. And there is a process by which we can extinguish it. I hope today that we're here serious about serving the Lord and want to honor the Lord by overcoming this bread eaten in secret. And you know what? By God's grace, we can. God puts that desire within our heart to be pleasing to Him. And I'll pray for you, and you pray for me.